How do we understand the times that we're living in? Dr. David Jeremiah is our guest this week discussing how leaders should lead during these turbulent times. It's all in episode 71 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 71 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week we're talking with Dr. David Jeremiah. Dr. Jeremiah is a well-known evangelical Christian author, the founder of the Turning Point Radio and Television Ministry, and the senior pastor of Shadow Mountain Community Church in El Cajon, California. We talked to Dr. Jeremiah about how we lead our people, especially during turbulent times, as many pastors and leaders right now probably are receiving a lot of questions about what's going on, what God is doing in the world. Dr. Jeremiah gives us great wisdom on how we can lead our people during these times. And now, here's our conversation with Dr. David Jeremiah. Well, Dr. Jeremiah, it is such a privilege to have you as our guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Dr. Jeremiah, you have spent a lot of time helping people discern the times and understand what's going on. Tell us, what what are the things that, as people are reaching out to you and speaking to you, that they're asking you about these times that we're in right now? Well, a, a lot of folks are very confused, as you can well imagine, because we're in this time of turmoil in our culture. And uh, I think a lot of the questions have to do with, are the sure things still sure? I mean, does America have a place in, in the future? Does the Bible still hold true uh, with the changing culture? Is the church still relevant, or has it moved off the scene and, and out there by itself? All of these questions, and many more similar to them, all seem to fit into that category. Are the things we once held true to, are they still there? Or are we past those? That has, has the Bible, has Christianity, has uh, evangelicalism lost its place in this time? Mm-hmm. And I know that you've written a new book to kind of address some of these big questions. Tell us about how um, you kind of decided to write this book. Well, I had so many people asking me questions about this, and so the title of the book is actually People Are Asking, Is This the End? And I think partly because of the um, reemergence of Russia, uh, the immigration issues that have just um, taken over the whole uh, political dialogue, the other issues that people are concerned about concerning Israel, all of that, I just thought, well, maybe if I can put my thoughts down, on paper and and draw the line between what's happening in our culture and and what God has said, I would be helping people, and that's what I decided to do. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is a topic that, for a lot of people, there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in it. There's a lot of people that that get fearful when they think about the things going on in the world. In your book, what are the things that you're pushing people towards in terms of how you want them to feel about these things? Well, Uh, Let's just take one instance, which seems to be one of the most uh, popular discussions, and that is the whole issue of immigration. The Bible doesn't solve the immigration problem. That's not anything anyone should ever espouse. But the Bible gives us some clues about things that we can learn from. Anyway, the Old Testament seems to do that. In the Old Testament, an immigrant was referred to as a stranger. If you study the Old Testament scriptures, what you discover is there were three things about strangers that the Jewish people understood. Number one, they were to assist them. Number two, uh, they were to accept them. And number three, they were to assimilate them. 
the first two we don't have any problem with but part of the issue we have with immigration today is the assimilation part so we have immigrants coming into our country now wanting to set up their own country within our country that violates the whole assimilation process if you study the old testament scriptures you find out that when israel was instructed about anything relative to their body politic and conduct the instruction was and for your strangers also so when people came into israel from other cultures they were expected to live under the same guidelines that were given to israel by almighty god that's where we've departed in our immigration issues today and one of the reasons we have such a huge war going on over whether or not to receive immigrants how we receive them securing the borders etc it's a really good example and i think it it, it kind of plays into the times um, that we're living in as we teach our people our, our audience a lot of pastors and ministry leaders who who get a lot of different questions as you speak to other pastors how do we um, kind of how do we balance what we say about the return of Christ? Because when we when we talk about this, I think a lot of people immediately think, oh, they're they're trying to figure out the date or trying to figure out when Christ is coming. How do you how do you approach some of those questions in your ministry? Well, one of the things I've always done very clearly is to tell people there is no such thing as knowing the date. That even the Lord Jesus Christ did not know the date when he was on this earth, and said it was only the Father who knew it. The angels didn't know it; only the Father knew it. So one of the things we have to do is constantly remind people about that. But on the other hand, the attitude that we should have in our culture is the attitude of eminency, that the Lord could return at any time. I remember in writing this latest book, I did some homework on the word eminency, and and I found out that it's a very interesting word. It means at any moment it could come that it could happen it does not mean that anything has to happen before it happens it just means it could happen at any time and when you believe that the lord jesus christ could come back at any time it does change the way you think and doesn't solve all of the issues that we have and in fact as i came in to do this interview today um, i have a stack of uh, things that people have written to me that they're unhappy about relative to things I've said concerning the future and today. So you're always going to have controversy, but you have to have a place to go back to. And my place to go back to is simply what the Word of God says, and I believe it when it's popular and when it's not. Mm -hmm. What does it mean for us to be ready? Like we talk about readiness, being ready for the return of Christ. What What does readiness look like? Well, it's not what we are characterized as, you know, sitting on a fence with a white sheet and, and, and acting weird. It's about just living every day with an eye on the future, living every day with the realization that, you know, in the words of the old um, spiritual, this world is not our home. We are passing through, and that God has a plan uh, for us that has its anchor clearly settled in heaven, and we're to live every day with that in mind. And being ready means that we should live in such a way that we won't be embarrassed when Christ returns. A lot of people say, well, when I think it's about time for him to return, I'll get my act together. Well, that's a pretty dangerous way to live. Mm -hmm. And talk about, I remember, you know, in Matthew 24, the Lord talking about prayerfulness. Is is prayer and and kind of being, being prayerful a part of that as well? Well, certainly it is, and obviously anybody who's looking toward the coming of Christ and living in the world in which we live, if they're not prayerful, they're not connected at all. 
I mean, even even as we speak today, with all of the things that are out there happening, um, as we anticipate what's going to happen in the future, you you just every day have to hang on to the principle of prayer because God is the only one who knows the end from the beginning, and uh, even though He may not reveal that information to you. There's such comfort and encouragement to know that you're in contact with the one who is sovereign over it all. Mm. In the book, you talk about some different things going on, and you give great wisdom. Um, one of the things you point out is the in, the growing intolerance against Christianity. Talk about how the increase of intolerance is, is happening, and where is this coming from in our culture? Well, the uh, I think the greatest word... Uh, for me, for that is is this, the expression that Christians are being squeezed. We're being squeezed uh, to the point where we can't uh, express our faith. Uh, in the book, I outline several steps that that takes, such as stereotyping and intimidating, and uh, and ultimately litigating. The illustrations of that in our culture are abundant. You don't have to, you know, look very far. I was watching the news today, and there was a, a program on where they were talking about the veterans. And uh, Tony Perkins, who's a friend of mine, was outlining some things that have happened in the military to keep chaplains from actually doing their their job, disallowing the word of God to be present in their in their offices and things of that nature. So the evidence of persecution is obvious. Where it comes from is ultimately, it comes from the enemy himself, from Satan. I like to remind people that Satan has several key characteristics, one of which is he is a murderer from the beginning, he is a divider, he is a deceiver, and he's a destroyer. And his determination is to keep pounding these wedges between Christians and non-Christians and and driving us to the edge and frightening people, keeping them from being open about their faith. We've never seen anything like what's happening in America in all my lifetime. I've never seen it. It may have happened back in the early days, but I don't think so. I think Christians have been targeted, and, and they're being squeezed today by the culture. Mm-hmm. And so do you feel like because of that squeezing that there's no longer a place for optimism or or can we look to the future and see, no, we can we can kind of turn turn this around? Well, the good news about all this is it's almost like the days of the New Testament, and the New, the New Testament days were some of the most virile days for the church that, that have ever happened. You know, the church prospers in times of persecution. We always... We always have known that. We've never wanted to test it, but it's true. And and uh, we have never done quite well in times of prosperity. So if you're looking at the future of the church and it's an influence, uh, the probability is the church is on the threshold of its best days because we have the truth of the Word of God, and it's becoming more and more isolated by the darkness around it, therefore more attractive to those who are looking for Christ. Mm-hmm. What message in in your work would kind of help people who are thinking a lot about the political discourse going on right now in our country? Well, I've been telling everybody to do two things. Be careful and be prayerful. Uh, As I mentioned, I had a a long list of things that people wanted to um, get after me about. You can't say anything that makes anyone think you're being favorable toward any one position on any subject without getting inundated by people from the other side. And you have to decide what is important and what you believe and stand for it and 
and let it happen. Um, I've always made it my purpose not to make uh, personal endorsements of uh, candidates, and I've been tempted many times to do that. So far, I haven't done it. But if they listen, people listen to who I who I am and and what I believe and how I talk. It's not very hard for them to figure out wh- where I'm going. And as soon as they do, as soon as they figure out where I'm going, they think I'm being uh, unfair and unfaithful. But you know, there is there is a place for truth and. We shouldn't be afraid of that, in spite of what it means and, and where where people may take it. Mm-hmm. I think another another point in the book that really jumped out to me was was the possibility that during these times we can have great revival. Talk about where historically revival has come from. You know, one of my favorite statements that I put in this book is that when the country feels like its spiritual vitality has gone to the dogs. It always has been the dog that has died. And I think that's a great way to look at it because in the history of revival, revival has only ever come when culture has gone to its very lowest and hope in anything else has been obscured. So in that case, it would seem to me that America may be a great candidate, perhaps even on the verge and threshold of a time of great awakening, like the five other occasions that I outline in this book. In fact, I must tell you that some of my friends, uh, Rick Warren and others, have said they believe that 2017 is going to be uh, the year of revival, the year of hope for our nation. And uh, I've heard that from many people. I don't have all the reasoning behind it, but I know it's a common theme when when I'm with my friends. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about that. Uh, Many of us haven't lived through a season of great awakening what does that look like like what is what are what are some of the things that revival feels like well there's some interesting things about that it's a great question by the way some things that surprised me when i went back over it again number one is almost every single revival involved young people you know we often think that maybe revival comes as the basis of uh, old people getting in a room and praying long long hours of prayer. but it's never been that way it's always been young people who've been involved in the revivals Number two, I've already mentioned, it's always at a time of the darkest uh, time of ever, and it always starts with prayer. I mean, the Fulton Street prayer meeting in New York City, which started with uh, one man just announcing that he was going to lead this prayer, Jeremiah Lanfieri, and nobody came at first, and then a few people came, and at the height of that revival, 50,000 people in New York City were praying during their lunch hour, and major businesses were closing down for the lunch hours so that people could go to prayer meetings. That sounds so outside of anything we could imagine, but it happened. Mm. And it always is the result of a few people praying. The night before the great sermon that was preached uh, by Jonathan Edwards, what often is missed in the story of the power of that sermon, which which was uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, the night before, there were a bunch of women who stayed up all night praying for revival. So behind the scenes, when revival happens, are people who pray. I think that's really good. Are there other things, like as people are praying for revival, are there specific ways that you would counsel them to pray? Well, you know, um, Second Chronicles is what so, so many people say. It's the Bible's handbook on revival. There are several revivals that are chronicled in, in, in that book. For instance, even the revival that took place under Josiah, you know, prayer was was a factor. And if you go on into that key passage in Second Chronicles chapter seven, it 
it reminds us that revival starts with the people of God, not with the people who we think need help. Uh, the Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and confess their sin, that's a pretty good place to start if you're looking for revival. Humble yourself and pray and confess your sin. God honors that, and that's always a spark that is, is in the congregation we know as revival today. A lot of pastors and ministry leaders are listening to this conversation today. What's your word to them as, as they're you know, leading their people and, and kind of they're feeling this tension in culture as, as well and trying to balance their own ministries? How, how are you counseling your brothers and sisters in the ministry? Well, I, I don't know that I've spent a lot of time talking to guys about how to do what they do because it got my hands so full trying to remember to do what I'm supposed to do. What I've tried to do more than anything else, and, and hopefully model this to some degree, is to make sure we don't get off track. Stay in the book. Stay in the truth of the Scripture. Don't get caught up in giving huge uh, cultural sermons that are devoid of the Scripture, because there's no power. The power in our preaching is in the Word of God, and uh, there's enough in the Word of God to challenge us in our cultural issues that we never have to go anywhere else. So, for instance, at this particular point in time, when everybody seems to be so distracted, I'm preaching to the people at Shadow Mountain on how to be fully engaged, uh, how to be fully engaged with God. Uh, for instance, uh, from the Shema of the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and Jesus said, all your strength, and Jesus said, all your mind. And uh, I've been talking about how to love God. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Trying to help people to understand that what God needs today more than anything else is he needs Christians who are fully engaged, sold out to God and the family and their church, sold out to the gospel. And uh, when we allow God to bring us to such a place, we become catalysts for change in our, in our society. So I think maybe I could summarize the answer to that question is before we spend too much time praying about God changing the culture, perhaps we need to spend more time asking him to change us or change me so that I can be the person I need to be in this culture and in this time of, uh, of discouragement for many people. Mm -hmm. And I think that discouragement, a lot of times, one of the things that we feel is that temptation to think, well, is God out of control, or is God losing control of things that he's doing because of these things that we're seeing? Can you speak to that, that temptation to kind of feel that way? Well, yes. In fact, uh, the byline on this book um, addresses that to some degree. Uh, the byline on the book says, uh, signs of God's providence in a disturbing new world. And what, what is so exciting to me is when you read these stories of things that have happened in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, if you're not careful, you read right past it. But underneath all of it is this track of the sovereign purpose of God. I remember uh, years ago somebody told me that you read God's providence like you read Hebrew. You read it backwards, and you look back and you see how God was involved. And we've done that over and over again. We may not be able to discern right now what God is up to in the American um, uh, cultural issues. I promise you, God is up to something, and one day we'll look back and see what he was doing. The issue with the providence of God is to trust it before you can see it, to believe that God is in control, that he is in charge, and we know that to be true from the Scripture. 
and even when we can't see the evidence of it, to believe that nothing is escaping the Almighty, and that he is still on the throne, he's not on vacation, and that nothing happens without his knowledge and foreknowledge. That's really good, and, and very very hope-filled uh, message. Tell us, like, what's the main thing, as, as people pick up this book, what's the main thing that you're hoping that they'll they'll take away? Well, you pretty much summarized it in your last question, because in this book, you see God everywhere at work in every single chapter. And that's what I want people to know. You know, we look around, and, and I have so many folks have come to me and say, I know something needs to be done, and I want to do something, Pastor, but I don't know what to do. All of us have felt that to some degree. Sometimes we step over the line and do things we shouldn't do, but the one thing we can't ever overdo is to keep our mind in the Scripture and continue to pray and trust God in the time. I mean, it's easy to trust God when you can see how it's all working out. It's not as easy to trust Him in times of darkness and fog like we seem to be in now. I mean, anybody who's watching the news knows that any one day uh, something happens that you don't understand. In fact, here in my community where, where I serve, we've uh, experienced just recently one of the shootings. One of our policemen shot a man in downtown El Cajon. El Cajon's where I live. And I was out of the city when it happened. I was so burdened. I wanted to get back. Before I could get back, a train ran into the terminal in New Jersey, and the story in, in California was taken off the pay. Nobody was even talking about it. So every single day, something's happening, and it's so fast, and it's so overwhelming. And I just have to pause for a moment and, and back up a little bit and say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know where this is all going, but I am so thankful that you're in charge, and I trust you, and just show me what to do next, and I'm going to do it. Well, I love that. I, I think that's, that's such great wisdom uh, for pastors and ministry leaders and, and everybody who's listening to this. Dr. Jeremiah, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us about your new book. We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes for this episode and uh, really appreciate your ministry. Well, thank you for what you do and, uh, and for the privilege of sharing these moments together. Thanks again to Dr. Jeremiah for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes, and consider sending this episode to someone you know that might benefit from listening to it. Also, make sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In those show notes, we put resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guest top content on churchleaders.com. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve the podcast or guests you'd love to hear us interview, email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.